1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books and Gender Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Tain Choi, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Min Jung Kim about her book, Elusive Belonging, Marriage, Immigrants, and Multiculturalism in Rural South Korea. Min Jung Kim is an associate professor and department chair of sociology at San Diego State University. Minjung, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. Oh,
1: perfect. Yeah, thank you for coming. We're very excited. Um, to begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Um, I am um uh, from South Korea. Uh, and currently, I'm teaching at SNDU State Um. My research areas, um, they are about gender and family um, in the context of international migration. Um, And that's the uh, topic we're going to focus on, I guess, with my book today. Um, I also study um, gender and race in the media. Um, I have uh, smaller projects uh, about that. Uh, especially in the U.S. media.
1: Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, media is especially like such a uh, important topic right now, too. Um, I'm really excited for you to explore that. Uh, my next question
0: is, how did you come to write Elusive Belonging? So um, when I was a PhD student, um, I was looking for an interesting, you know, what, a topic, um, for my dissertation. Uh, and then I watched this, uh, Korean documentary show, uh, about, uh, marriage immigrants. And I got, I, it was very fascinating, um, because, um, when I was in Korea and, you know, my previous knowledge was, how Koreans are um, rather not so friendly to um, foreigners. And that particular uh, documentary showed that these ruler, elderly uh, Koreans uh, were really kind of embracing uh, Filipina marriage immigrants. Um, and I got really curious and I wanted to find out. Um, so I did my field work um, for my dissertation project Um And then I published several articles and book chapters. uh, And then uh, I poured the the other stories that I could not um, put in uh, published articles and book chapters into this book. and it touches and i was happy to write uh this book because i could uh kind of show this uh, broader picture of the communities that i examined um uh, in this book Mm, yeah yeah
1: i was really impressed by your ethnography as well um and it is really in depth um and i Wanted to ask you, actually, because, um, you were mentioning how your motivation was from this documentary. Uh, you do talk about, um, in your introduction, how, uh, Filipina, uh, marriage immigrants are seen as different from, uh, for example, like joseonjok marriage immigrants that used to be very prevalent. Um, but then now not so much anymore, um, because the trend is changing. Um, so, uh, can you tell us more about More about the particularity or um, of Filipina uh, immigrants' uh, marriage immigrants' experiences.
0: Sure. Um, So uh, in Korea, generally, international marriage international marriage um, was something that people really didn't embrace before, at least the, before the 21st century. Um, but there were people who married internationally. Um, we've seen a lot of cases of, you know, Japanese, uh, Korean couples, um and American uh, and Korean couples. Um, mostly it was between Korean women and Japanese or American men. Um, and we knew about uh, pen pals uh, between Korean women, and, uh, European men, uh, Korean women and European men, Korean women and European men, but not so much with Korean men and foreign women. Um, and also, I'm sorry, Dain. <laughs> um, what was the question? Oh, 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 yeah. No worries. Yeah, that happens actually
1: all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. My question was, uh, maybe I didn't ask you clearly. uh yeah, because uh, you know, um, in the introduction, um, you talk about how Joseon marriage immigrants, for oh, example, right. are. Sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: And so, mm-hmm. um. So there were uh, international marriage. Um, However, they were with people who had uh, historical connections to Koreans. Um, Japan is a neighboring country, so Korea and Japan has a long history. Um, And the United States, um, their presence in the U.S., especially in in Korea, uh, especially after the Korean War, um, kind of opened opportunities for uh, Koreans and Americans. Uh, to me, um, but Filipinas were really new to Koreans. We did not necessarily have close relationship, well, any relationship, uh, with the Philippines. Uh, so um, seeing, uh, I guess, except for um, Filipino migrant workers who started coming in the nineties, um, so it was really new to see uh, Filipinas uh, marrying Korean men. And um and they were different. Uh, they were different in the sense that their looks were different, um, their cultures were different. Uh of course, Koreans and Chinese and Japanese, they they're some people would say that they look different and their cultures are different. But East Asians um sometimes they also they have a long history together. Um so Filipinas. They were kind of newcomers uh, to Koreans. And that's what really intrigued uh, my interest in this topic, um, because this really was a new era for Korea. Interesting.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, talking about history and how people view these um, immigrant marriage immigrants, this actually reminds me of your discussion in Chapter 6 about how race is defined in Korea. Uh, You also talk about this in your introduction too and how various um, inclusion and exclusion um, strategies are used. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about the definition of race in Korea? Because I think it's really intriguing because it is different from how we conceptualize it in America. As well as uh, the multiculturalism projects and policies regarding this marriage immigrants by the Korean government?
0: So um, I did talk about race uh, in my book um, because uh, race was something that uh, Koreans or the Korean uh, government uh, did not talk about, uh, especially related to multicultural families. Um, Of course, the term multicultural family um, that the Koreans use to describe uh, the families with the marriage migrants um, have been uh, criticized, has been criticized and uh, contested uh, by many scholars and pundits. Um, I felt, I argue uh, in my book that the term multicultural family um, actually overlooks the issues related to race in the United States maybe Asians, um, regardless where they are from, they are kind of lumped into this one category of Asians or Asian-Americans. Um, however, there are a lot of diversity, uh, not just in terms of language and cultures, but also appearances and looks. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in Asia, there are, uh, there is uh, racism um, in some countries uh, against other Asian countries uh, against other Asians, uh, and in Korea, um, based on uh, people's skin color, um, their uh, Koreans have uh, prejudice, uh, prejudice uh, or biased opinions, um, and Filipinos uh, or Filipinas uh, who whose skin color is considered darker, um, they are also a target of racist attitude and discrimination um, by Koreans. And I wanted to kind of highlight that. Um, and I think it, 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 it adds to existing racial discourses and um, In Korea. So, related to racism in Korea, I would like to recommend um, the book Imperial Citizens by Nadia Kim. And she really delves into this history of racial discourses in Korea um, and how it follows this, um, I guess, um, very simplified um, discourse. That was introduced uh, in the modern era, uh, late 19th century and early 20th century. Um, in, in Korea before, um, before prior to the 21st century, um, three races existed: uh, white and black and yellow. Uh, and in a way, the introduction of Filipinos and other Asian uh, migrants. Um, to the Korean society, um, we can really complicate and open up this discussion about race and racism. However, uh, even though racial discrimination and racist attitudes exist in Korea, um, unfortunately, I don't think scholarly conversations about race has been um, galvanized. Um, So, yeah. Mm. Oh, within the Korean uh scholarly communities. Right. Mm. Uh, I think yeah. there are some I think there are some scholars um who definitely focus on racial discussions uh or discussions on race and racism. Um and there are there are there are scholars who focus on African migrants experiences in Korea. Um however um I don't think they have, uh, there was a huge interest in um, discussing race and racism uh, in a more nuanced, um, deep way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I totally agree with that, and this is something
1: that I felt too in uh, my own research, uh, and also my personal experiences as well, because um, you do often see representation and in people's interaction of um, South, South Asians, and, you know, people call them, like, 사람, uh which, like, other them uh and because I think race has traditionally really focused on America um so how you know Asians and then as you said you know really eloquently like how uh American uh, America just lumped together Asians even though there's huge like economic disparity like educational disparity within these uh, this group um and also the treatment within Asia itself I think that it just really flattens out the discourses that happens yeah Yeah. and
0: more problematic especially with the korea's multicultural family, is that um they from the beginning they emphasize the cultural differences uh to explain the experiences of families who are uh internationally married and in a way they kind of promoted this idea that um marriage if if marriage immigrants assimilate, or if they learn more about Korean culture and language, uh, their troubles will go away, or will be um, resolved in some way. Uh, There, the idea is that uh, if we can minimize and alleviate, uh, we can find some kind of clarity, I don't know, Um, but the problem is that um, it is not just cultural differences. Um, It is not something that we can learn to assimilate and And that uh, that approach actually ignores racial prejudice, um, which is based on skin color that cannot be changed. So, um, so in a way, their uh, approach um, did not necessarily consider um, the divide that cannot be easily overcome. Uh, And that's why I felt it was important to point out uh, racialization of. immigrants in Korea. Although that was a kind of part of the chapter, but I felt um, strongly about including that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you for that insightful comment, because I think that cultural difference can sometimes, I mean, can very often actually be uh, like a softer hegemony in a way, mm-hmm. um, it seems not as uh, disruptive as racial difference. But at the same time, uh, a lot of you know horrible like assimilation policies happen under uh, you know cultural differences. Um, so I really appreciated that, and that actually brings me to your chapter five, making multiculturalism, and your critic of makeshift multiculturalism. And how you point out that community volunteers and um, social workers, uh, so called multicultural agents, um, expect um, you know repayment in a way for uh, this uh, service that they are uh, giving to marriage immigrants um, that you call economy of gratitude. Um, so I wonder whether um, you know you can tell us a little bit more about makeshift multiculturalism and economy of gratitude and how that plays a role in your book?
0: Thank you so much for asking that question. Um, I should first uh, mention that uh, makeshift multiculturalism uh, was the term that was used by the late, uh, great uh, Nancy Abelman uh, who passed away recently. Um, and she, in her work uh, about uh, Korea's merger uh, policies, um, she talked about how Korea's multiculturalization, multiculturalism, sense that um, the policies and also um, policy measures, they were um, created and practiced in a really hasty manner. Um, and that's how a lot of, you know, Korean government officers work too. Um, They have a goal and a lot of people get together and they try to make it happen. Um, And that kind of drive uh, can really work well for certain things. However, we question, is it possible to do that uh, with multicultural policies? So, for example, when I was in my field, um, uh, I saw a lot, I mean, these multicultural agents who I call, um, they are social workers, uh, government uh, agents, um, and community members. Um, who take a lot of interest uh, in the lives of marriage immigrants. And they come with a lot of um, goodwill. They really want to help uh, marriage immigrants. However, um, even scholars... Uh, experts um, do not necessarily think about what multiculturalism means and what a multicultural society looks like. And of course, over the years, um, people, um, scholars and activists uh, criticized uh, Korea's multicultural policies for being assimilationist um, because they began to learn, they began to realize Um, That's not what we want to see. However, that is not necessarily the case for everyone. Uh, Government agents, um, they are oftentimes, um, they are assigned to uh, their department to serve uh, various immigrants. Um, I mean, I cannot say for all of them, I hope and I assume that some of them come with some qualifications, um, but many of them, they are there without necessarily specialized knowledge in multiculturalism because it was new to the whole country. Um, Korea always considered itself as homogeneous country, um, and Koreans always considered themselves as a homogeneous. People. So when they came and they came with a goal to accomplish something in their quarter uh, in a given time, uh, it was really difficult to see meaningful conversations or um, some critical dialogues among themselves. So Um, when I was in the field, um, I was there uh, teaching Korean to marriage immigrants. Uh, We would often get a survey from a university professor in different units, and there's no introduction um, from the university professors. Just the surveys were given uh, to the Catholic Church, uh, where we have these Korean classes and they just um, marriage immigrants who would have just fill out the form. So um, there were a lot of interest in them, but oftentimes Koreans were kind of rushed to do, um, produ- rushed to uh, conduct a survey, produce reports, um, and that's it. So, um, I mean, I do want to believe that some Folks, they try to do their work um, for a better future for marriage immigrants. And there were some uh, very meaningful changes that were made over the years. Um, however, when you think about the amount of work that was done and the amount of money that was invested in for this huge Multicultural family um, policies uh, since the mid uh, 2000s, um, one has to wonder how much uh, did, how should I say, um, considering how much we spent, one could argue that we really didn't um, make that much progress.
1: Mm. Yeah, and tying it back to the previous comments that you make. Having one ideal of multiculturalism in itself is such a political project, and this idea of cultural differences itself is very racialized. So, thinking of all those nuances and um, some of the harmful aspects of cultural difference as a concept or an idea, yeah, I think I can definitely see how this project, you know, even if Asians have goodwill, can be co-opted um, in a way. Yeah. Mm. So I, I thought it was very insightful. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. And also, I think to your earlier question about uh, this multicultural uh, economy of gratitude, uh, which I kind of built on uh, Ali uh, Hochschild's um concept of economic gratitude uh, in her work, The Second Shift. And I apply that um, uh, concept to this situation um, where uh, Korean um, multicultural agents, uh, community members and and government agents, um, they, like I said, um, they want to really help marriage immigrants. And that's why they um, implemented Uh, multicultural family policy um, to help support uh, marriage immigrants um, to uh, make a better life uh, in Korea. Uh, However, um, I'm sorry, instead of however, I should say that um, when they do that, um, they did so with gratitude. Um, A lot of marriage immigrants came to marry, uh, especially rural bachelors, and in Korea, since the eighties, um, we had this. Uh, social issue of ruler bachelors um, who could not find the wives. Uh, and the Korean government really took interest in uh, these men's well-being. Um, they created actually a national committee to um, basically uh, find wives for these men. Um, and then marriage immigrants came and almost this problem uh, looked like it was going away. So multicultural agents... Um, They started uh, their activities to help these women out of gratitude, solving this issue of um, rural bachelors. However, what is interesting is that um, while they expressed their gratitude, while they offer these services, public services um, for uh, marriage immigrants, they realized that that gratitude scale was being tipped over. And in exchange, they wanted marriage immigrants to stay in marriage, no matter how difficult their married life is. And they also wanted them to assimilate. So I found that really fascinating. And it doesn't just happen here, uh, everywhere. Immigrants, when they go to a new country, the host country oftentimes expect them to make contributions so that their presence in the host country can be deserving. We want them to be contributing members of the society. Then you can have a better relationship with the state, the government. But one has to wonder, um, what does that mean for refugees? What does that mean for people who just want to move to another country? Yeah, that is such an important question, and I think
1: especially now in this political, politically turbulent time, where uh, because there is, there has always been this rhetoric of uh, deserving immigrants that you deserve to be here, you're legal, um, right, right? Yeah, um, but then under the Trump administration, um, obviously that's just getting like pushed, and you know any kind of racialized immigrants are now also seen as undeserving and that just also has a whole baggage of... Um, a history uh, of like exclusion and racialization. Actually, as an international student in the US right now, um, I am having a lot of trouble as well. Like, I used to be welcomed in this country, but now I'm no longer, and uh, my status is uh, in jeopardy because of the new administration. So, I think this like question of um, yeah, deserving immigrants uh, contributing back to the economy uh, is really like relevant um, even though I guess I'm in a different place uh, from the uh, marriage immigrants that you uh, have interviewed and done the field work with but yeah that's a very insightful yeah thank you for the thank you for your insightful words um, and well, that I think, think, think-
0: also mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. I think application is important to think about even in the United States Uh, immigrants were allowed when they have families already here or you have to have money or you have to have educational capacity. So we never accept anybody without condition. There is always a screening process for immigrants and it is not conservatives' measure. Um, Liberal and progressive um, politicians before they created these measures uh, and regulations immigration policies. Um, And that policy, when that, I think that policy also had um, this room for slippery slope, because in every, um, in different times, people will make a different assessment who are deserving immigrants. So before um, people who pursue higher education, um, they were welcome. However, now um, some folks argue that that's not enough because they are actually uh, they we are because um, they argue that we are opening up um, for opportunities to take more of our jobs, right? Um, students do not necessarily make contributions, is what they would say. Um, in Korea, um, which is fairly recent destination country, um, we started um, receiving migrants and immigrants uh, since uh, 1990s. And of course, uh, initially, they were migrant workers. And from the very beginning, even now, uh, Koreans do not have the kind of policies that the U.S. has to allow them to stay after a certain period. All migrant workers are considered as temporary migrants. Um, we do not necessarily have um, open door policy um, for migrants. However, married immigrants were welcomed uh, they were welcome because uh, they could, like I said, um, solve the social issue that they had. And nowadays, um, if you look at actually uh, immigration policy in Korea, um, they do talk about how they want to um, create uh, more space for professional migrants, people who ha- ha- who are equipped with more um, educational background uh, or um, professional background. So they are um creating these measures, they could be used against people who do not have what they are looking for. However, one has to wonder what is the boundaries? What is the border? And why do we have these? Why can, why do we have this kind of selective process for immigrants? If you're going to have immigrants, why can you just, you know, accept all? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe that's kind of (laughs) an idealist. <laughs> way of looking at it but I think it is a good question to pursue
1: yeah definitely and it is um it is definitely really sad that this neoliberal idea of autonomous, uh, um, enterprising individuals who make monetary contribution is seen as the only ideal of immigrants or deserving uh, citizens in a country, um, because it is definitely really internalized. And I think that's why for a lot of people, it seems that uh, it's just a matter of course. I think uh, disturbing part of it is that people don't even contest it it's uh, right yeah yeah and that um, I think that is when, that is also what shows that uh, neoliberalism is so powerfully just ingrained in our um, society and um, challenging that with the question that you asked why can't we accept more people like what is the meaning of border I think that's definitely a starting point for us to contest that and talk about how valuation of human life should go beyond that and uh, be more holistic. And uh, I mean, yeah, I for me as well. I think we should just value everyone. Um, but then um, I think that people would contest that. But it's it is definitely a worthy discussion to keep uh, to keep having, um, right? Because yeah, that
0: actually, that question will bring up mm. inequality among countries, mm. right? Because people, yeah. lose, because they want to. Find a better place, then why um, do we have that kind of inequalities okay. among countries? It's a relevant question,
1: yeah. Oh, Minjong, you cut out for a little bit. Uh, oh, sorry, is it okay? oh, oh, uh, yeah. Um, I can hear you now, though. Is it okay if you repeat uh, what you said? Uh, so sorry, I couldn't hear you, <laughs> okay? Um,
0: yeah, I think. That question about what is the meaning of the border um, and why do we have this selective process um, that leads us to the issue of global inequality. Um, ultimately, it's about that. We have these uh, inequalities among countries. Why developing countries are developing countries? Um, why developing countries do not have what developed countries, right? Um, that's going to bring up a whole lot of uh, issues. Um, neoliberalism, colonial history, uh, exploitative relationships, um, military uh, enterprises, all those issues. Mm. So mm. I know it's a big question, but it is definitely <laughs> something that we should ask.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hmm. and this um this brings me to um something that you talk about. I think at the conclusion of your. A book about uh, multiculturalism fatigue and implication of changing Korean policy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, can you tell us? Uh, t- can you tell us more about that? Uh, about the impact that it's having on marriage immigrants today.
0: Right. Um, so multicultural. What is interesting about Korea's multiculturalism is that um, Koreans really didn't involve immigrants or migrants into multicultural um, uh, endeavors. Um, Koreans felt the need to help uh, marriage immigrants. They started multicultural policies, Um, but the immigrants were not invited to the decision-making process. And now, like I said, Korea is a new destination country. So they have newcomers every year, every day, every month, every year. And um, so as they try to um, apply multicultural policies, multicultural family policies to these new immigrants that are growing in numbers, um, they got tired, I guess. So... Um, multicultural fatigue, which is a concept that was um, uh, developed by a Korean scholar, um, was very fascinating to me because, like I said before, multicultural family policy, it really drew a lot of attention from Koreans. And the Korean government really spent a lot of money and energy, but its result really didn't make that far. There were a lot of good changes However, I don't think it made that much difference. We are really kind of, um, you know, we are really on the still on the surface of what multicultural society should look like. Um, but then they started talking about multicultural fa- fatigue. So what I see is that Koreans were got really excited about um, all these immigrants that are coming. In the beginning, they were kind of celebratory mood because they are like, we are so developed now that these immigrants want to come to our country. And Then they wanted to help, and they wanted to help, and they made some progress. But after a while, they got tired of it. Okay, what do we have to do more? But even in that position, I don't think they made that much effort to include immigrants into their discussion. There are, there's a still divide or separation between the Korean government and immigrant run organizations. They are still, Korean government, is still working with Korean-run organizations, but not much with immigrant-run organizations organization. So you have to wonder what kind of multicultural society that they are thinking of, right? Probably they are thinking of being inclusive of immigrants, but still Koreans are the one who calls the shot. Is that a multicultural society? So um, there are a lot more work to do. We have to admit that uh, Korea has a really, really short history with immigrants. So in a way, we just have to wait and give Korea some time. But on the other hand, it's been almost uh, over 20 years. And we have to think about what kind of changes can we see in the next 20 years. And when we think about that, I don't know how much we can be optimistic. I do want to be optimistic, but I don't know how much I can be. So um, so that's where, uh, that's how... Um, I talked about that um, and I was hoping that we could really find the ways to um, move current discourses about immigrants and multicultural families forward. And I guess... Um, to, I guess, to answer my own call, I'm working on an edited volume. Um, it's tentatively titled The Redefining Multicultural Families. And I have been working with um, many young junior scholars. Um, in order to expand um, our discussions on multiculturalism, uh, multicultural families. And uh, first, the thing that I wanted to do was multicultural families should not be just about the families with marriage immigrants. We have to also recognize other forms of immigrant families. So so that's what I'm currently doing. That's what I was thinking of when I was... Writing that concluding chapter and um, and I guess I talked a little bit about what I'm doing too.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Thank you so much. That sounds like an amazing project. And I was thinking of what does it mean then to have multicultural society family. Uh, when I was reading your book, so I am really looking forward to reading that edited volume. I think that we definitely need to have more conversation about this, and it is. Very- very important. And I think you made a very incisive point when you pointed out how the government actually does not have much connection to Filipina run organizations, and how that is just so telling about the type of multicultural society that is actually very exclusive. Um, that is that the South Korean government is creating. Um, so I think that was a really incisive point. And that, that made me think about how the, the agency of uh, Filipina immigrant, um, immigrant, marriage immigrants. And in your introduction, uh, you do talk about uh, social, um, emotional citizenship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Um, I was thinking of how in chapter seven, uh, you were talking about the dynamic of uh, sisterly solidarities. Um, So there is group anxiety within, um, you know, this group of Filipina uh, immigrant, marriage immigrants, but then at the same time, there is a solidarity that is formed. And also I thought this was really fascinating at an interpersonal level with their in-law families, um, The performance of heterosexual love, you use scripting theory, um, allow them to uh, found social citizenship. Um, So I guess shifting the conversation to focus on uh, Filipina marriage immigrants, uh, my question would be how much agency do you think they have in shaping their own social citizenship, especially because they don't have much of a state connection it seems, and how important do you think uh, is the connection, various connections that they have uh, to their in-law families, other Filipina organizations and sisters, um, as well as um, Korean people that they interact day to day. Right.
0: Um, Thank you so much for your question. Um, I Actually, in one of my articles uh, that I published for this book, uh, talks about um, my own struggle in, in discussing agency with marriage immigrants. Uh, oftentimes, people have this too binary. Uh, people have this binary idea about marriage immigrants, whether they are victims of abusive husbands uh, or. Uh, Matchmaking agents to international marriage, uh, or I mean, they're not victims, but um, basically uh, sacrificial lamb for their struggling families in their home, or they are seen as opportunists. Um, who marry uh, Korean men without necessarily love. Um, They use marriage in order to move to another country um, and um, they actually enter the marriage without thinking that they are going to stay in marriage, right? Um, However, of course, these women's real lives, they are more complicated than that. And it was not necessarily, I felt easy job to convey that. And I guess that was one of my one of the reasons why I wanted to write a book, because you really cannot convey complicated, nuanced relationships that these women have with different um, people around them. Uh, So I really wanted to get a closer look. I wanted to um, uh, portray uh, their stories uh, uh, closely. Um, And, uh, And as I do, I wanted to kind of highlight emotional parts uh, in their experiences Um, because I think there are a lot of uh, connections um, between their agency and emotional experiences that they have. You see, a lot of people want to highlight agency when people have good lives. However, people still exercise agency when they are having difficulties just because they cannot overcome their struggles, that doesn't mean that they didn't have agency. So what does it mean for a person who has agency who cannot make decisions that they want? Because the circumstances that they are in did not have that option. I wanted to show their emotional struggles, conflicting feelings that they have. And they all had that kind of complicated relationships with different people. So um, uh, so in political, so, uh, political science and sociology, um, people talk about uh, emotions um, or emotional relationships uh, in public sphere, um, in social movements. Uh, And also their relationship with the state. Um, And I wanted to kind of bring that to interpersonal relationship um, and how immigrants, marriage immigrants, emotional relationships at the interpersonal level can actually facilitate their relationship with the state. So um, in the book, uh, each chapter focuses on their relationship with different people. So one chapter focuses on their conjugal relationship. So I talk about different stories, um, different couples' stories, Uh, one, you know, uh, well, a couple of uh, well some couples they start with love and their love is a challenge um, some people keep their love because their lives are good uh, some people they lose their love because their lives are so difficult and I also talk about people who met um, not necessarily with deep love but because their idea of an ideal family um, uh, kind of go together right Um Husband wanted to be the provider. The wife was, uh, the wife wanted to find the provider. Uh, And they went well without necessarily deep love. Are we going to say that that is not a good couple? Um, But also I wanted to uh, show how these couples still have, even in their generally good lives, they can have um, daily struggles um, for different reasons. Um, In another chapter, I highlighted um, their relationship with uh, in-laws, not just their husband, but also in-laws. And and there, I wanted to focus on uh, economic anxiety, right, uh, about how um, how husbands of family, um, they are looking for marriage immigrants because these men could not find their wives. They could not find the wives in Korea because they, in a lot of cases, um, they live in rural areas or they are from low socioeconomic status. Um, that means a lot of these families have existing economic anxiety before they uh, go into international marriage. And they go into international marriage with this all these stereotypes about marriage immigrants, how they are marrying Korean men so that they can help their families back home, uh, how they sometimes want to marry men in order to get into the country. So how are you going to make them stay? You know, all these um, anxiety that they have can be expressed in not-so-nice way to wives. Um, but instead of saying that they are abusive, I thought it would be important to show all fuller picture of their experiences. So each chapter kind of looks at um, these different relationships, uh, including uh, relationships among uh, marriage immigrants. Uh, and how uh, Filipinas, um, their relationships uh, have a sense of solidarity as well as competition um, and challenge among themselves. Um, So I hope that when people read the book, they can understand that it is not easy to call um, somebody's agency by looking at the outcome when they are still living. (sighs) Um, and it is difficult to say um, that one could not exercise agency um, just because they could not make the decision that they wanted because a lot of people cannot but then a lot of people also justify their decisions based on what they have. So um, I think it's a really complicated issue, but I think it is also important for us that um, what how we understand the agency. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that was something that I was thinking about as I was reading your book too, because we often have a very straightforward idea of agency as doing what you want in a way or what you can. But often that is very contextual, as in, you know, it could be the uh, circumstances and it could also be related to power dynamic. There is a social script that you also talk about in your chapter uh, that um, shapes your desire. And then also your agency, and that you know sometimes they align, sometimes they do not. but then as you importantly pointed out, that even if they do not align, the that can also mean agency as well. So how we talk about agency is actually really important, and I think um, it needs to be more thoughtfully used, which I think you do in your book, which is um, which I
0: really loved. Um, so well, thank, thank you. you.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is interesting? I mean, for me, um, an interesting question was not about. I mean, not only it's not only about ascertaining um, whether marriage immigrants have agency or exercise agency, but also how a writer can convey their agency, especially those who are in situations where they cannot make decisions. For themselves, um, but they still try to make the best decisions for themselves. Um, yeah, so so that was um, that was something that I had to kind of think about um, for a long time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. that's such an important
1: question and something that I will probably also struggle with in my dissertation that will come very, very long time afterwards. But uh, I definitely think that as a scholar and as a writer, I think it's just so important to have that ethical question in mind. Um, how do you convey agency for those who are not in the circumstances to be able to exercise it in a traditional way? Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking that question. And yeah, I have taken a lot of your time. Um, but the New Books Network have, um, you know, have the traditional concluding question about your new project, which you already actually talked about um, in the exciting edited volume that's coming out about the meaning of multiculturalism but then before we end the show I still wanted to ask you this final question about uh, can you tell us more about your
0: new project yeah Uh, So in addition to this new edited volume that is currently titled Redefining Multicultural Families, um, I'm currently working um, in my town uh, in San Diego. Uh, San Diego is a border city. Um, We are near the U.S.-Mexico border and our neighboring city is Tijuana. Um, And not many people know about this um, community, but there is actually Korean immigrant Community In the border region. Uh, and they are and they started uh, coming to this region uh, in early in the early 90s, uh, when uh, around the time the NAFTA was implemented, and that's North America Free Trade Agreement. Uh, and they came with actually Korea, uh, Korean multicultural corporations. So a lot of, um, originally, a lot of Koreans came uh, with their companies, um, Korean multicultural corporations like Samsung, Hyundai, and of course, their subcontractors. But also they stayed, uh, a lot of people stayed, and also they recruited um, people uh, to the region to work for these companies. Um, They are a rare border commuter who live in the U.S. but work in Tijuana. Uh, A lot of U.S.-Mexico border studies, they focus on Mexican or Mexican-American experiences. And usually border commuters, they live in Mexico and they work in the U.S. But these Korean uh, border commuters are the opposite. Uh, they are uh, kind of reversed Um, and they are young community um, because they, you know, they started kind of um, building the community uh, in the mid-1990s. And a lot of them actually went back, Um, but uh, many of them also stayed in the region. So I'm looking at their experiences and what it means to live in um, the border region. Um, Border region uh, and the border region Um, that straddle um, two countries that these people uh, are new to, right? A lot of times, border um, residents uh, or border region studies, uh, border studies, I should say, uh, border studies, um, they talk about people uh, from either country of the border. Um, But these are basically uh, people who are, from neither country, and they are trying to learn both countries. So uh, it's an ethnographic study. Um, at the moment, I am um, interviewing people, um, but because of my obligations uh, at school, uh, the the data collection process, the interview process, has been going really slow. Um, but it's been a really exciting project, uh, and. I, I found it fascinating uh, to learn all these different people's path to path to the area. Um, so, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. And I always knew that San Diego is a really interesting place to be in, precisely, as you said, because it's a border town. But I don't think I have read any work that focuses on that. Uh, immigrant communities that are from neither countries and uh, you know, it just also brings up in my mind all these questions about racialization too because it's uh, US-Mexico border so I also really wonder what uh, these immigrants think about their own positionality and their understanding of US versus Mexico and the fact that they came from you know, multinational corporations in the south is also very interesting in terms of how they would also situate themselves Uh um, Um, Yeah, so it sounds really fascinating. And uh, I know that you're very busy with the schoolwork, but I really look forward to reading it when it comes out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have uh, one book chapter that just came out, um, and also since you are, I mean, I'm usually when I study immigrant families, um, I also focus on gender aspect of it. And uh, when I look at uh, these population, it is very, you know, heteronormative families, um, and it makes me think about how economy um, and especially global trades, um, how they are male centered. Um, uh, so it's kind of new to me. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of, uh, I have to study like, you know, uh, economic side of the whole, um, issue, um, which is completely new to me. Um, but it has been very, uh, uh, it's been, it has been fascinating, um, to kind of delve into this really new, uh, community, new, um, uh, population uh, and also a new area of study
1: uh, yeah i can I can imagine and about the gender aspect as well like I also think about how you know f one students they sometimes come in and mostly with male students with their wives and how wives cannot work at all. And I uh, don't know about the emplo- employees, but I imagine it's something very similar. So I yeah. think, uh, as you said, looking at the gender dynamic of these very heteronormative families with wives who cannot legally work, but who might work nevertheless um, as you actually talk about with the our Filipina immigrants as well our marriage immigrants as well um, it would be definitely very fascinating
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I actually yeah. published uh, yeah I actually published the work about the international students wives long time yeah. ago I can send you the chapter <laughs>
1: oh, I, yeah I would love that yeah <laughs> yeah because I have really observed how a lot of immigrant uh, yeah I guess um, immigrant student uh, international students, um they're mostly males and they bring their wives over and they feel very confined about right. not being able to work and they also feel pressured in their like reproductive labor in a sense, like domestic labor and that all uh, because they or not uh, contributing economically. So, oh, yeah, I would love to read the work. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. <Yeah. laughs>
0: I do want to yeah. say that a lot of times it looks like individual decisions, but mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with immigration policy that okay. actually follows that innovative model mm-hmm. that you can have one visa holder and the other people should be dependent.
1: Oh, interesting. This yeah, idea yeah. of dependency, that's very mm-hmm. general. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but th- thank you so much though like I have already taken up too much of your time but thank you for your um all your insights and your amazing book. I enjoyed reading it a lot and it have been very helpful for developing my own research interest as well. Um thank you so much for being in the show today and I hope that you take care of yourself during the time of covid. Thank you.
0: Thank you so thank much. You. you too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.